This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. I really enjoy working around the house on my day off, especially if it's stuff I like to do, and especially if it's stuff I know how to do. Gathering the tools and items that I need for any given project usually only takes a few minutes, but it takes a lot longer for me to get my head into the game and and get psyched up to do the job. I need time to get ready. See, I'm not a Mr. Fix-It by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have a skill set for carpentry or electrical work or plumbing or even fixing the car. So projects at my house take time. Stuff can sit in the corner or even on the counter. My wife, hoping that it gets done soon, it can stay there for days. I just need time. I need a little extra time to get my head in the game. And some of you guys watching today know what I'm talking about. Well, from the message last weekend on Nehemiah chapter 1, we learned that Nehemiah was commissioned by God for a special project, a special job that God had in mind for him to do. He was to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls surrounding the city. The walls had been broken down and the the gates of the city had been burned with fire and the people were living in disgrace. So what does he do? He begins to pour out his heart in prayer. He he takes the time he needed to get ready to do, do the job God had called him to do. As soon as he heard the report about his beloved city of Jerusalem and his fellow Jews living in shame, The Bible says Nehemiah sat down and wept and mourned for days. And he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So he prays persistently for the people of Israel, confessing their sins along with his own and his father's family. He clings to the promises of God, gently and respectfully reminding the Lord of the promise that he had made to Moses. And then at the end of chapter 1, Nehemiah says... O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and give your servant success today. So Nehemiah has been gathering his tools and getting his heart ready for the project, getting his head in the game. And now it's time for action. Now it's time to do something. It's time to seize the moment. And the opening verses of Nehemiah chapter 2 show us the results of his prayer good preparation. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Remember, he's the cup bearer. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So Nehemiah had been praying day and night since he first heard about the trouble in Jerusalem. That was in the month of Kislev. 
It's now the month of Nisan, which is four months later. So he's been praying day and night, on and off, for four months. And finally, one day, when he takes wine to the king, and as the cupbearer passes the wine cup to the king, the king looks at his face and says, What's up, Nehemiah? What's going on? Why are you so sad? What's happening? Verse 4. Nehemiah says, I prayed to the God of heaven. So obviously this is a very quick, short uh, javelin prayer. He, he lifts one up to God very quickly. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So this king who had, who had forcibly removed Nehemiah and his people from Jerusalem years before is now willing to send him back with letters of safe conduct and a military escort. Now, that's, that's a tremendous change of heart on the part of the king. And... I think a significant thing to notice is that Nehemiah did not resort to plotting or scheming or uh, manipulating to bring about this change. The text implies, the scripture tells us that he simply prayed with earnest and trusted God to change his boss's heart. And that's exactly what God did. So when you and I face overwhelming odds, when we, when we have overpowering circumstances in our lives, we should probably wait for God to change the heart. Nehemiah prayed and, and waited for God to change the heart of the king. Th that doesn't mean that we do nothing. If we're waiting for God to change someone's heart, we don't do nothing. We don't just sit back and slack off. We, we keep praying. We keep serving. We keep loving. We keep giving. We keep uh, preaching. We keep teaching. We keep doing what God has called us to do. But in the end, if, if change comes, it will be at God's hand. We wait for God to change the hearts of the people who are involved in the particular circumstances upon which we're focused at that moment in time. You see, God is in the business of, of changing circumstances and, and changing hearts and changing people. Nobody can do that better than Jesus. Nobody. So let's wait. Don't manipulate. Just wait. Wait for God to change the hearts of the people. You can't change your spouse, but God can. You can't change your kids, but God can. So at home, at work, at school, at church, let's wait for God to change the heart. Nehemiah's experience also teaches us that we need to plan carefully for what lies ahead. Plan carefully for what lies ahead. Nehemiah had a strategic, specific plan for what he wanted to accomplish for God. And God, it seems, really blessed him for that. Nehemiah not only prayed steadily for 120 days, he also created a precise plan of action. Uh, even while he was waiting for God to change the king's heart, Nehemiah was planning. He wanted to be ready so that when or if God, uh, God opened the door for him uh, to take action, he would have a plan. 
one of the overarching, one of the big lessons in the book of Nehemiah is that God works providentially, especially through powerful rulers to bring about His greater purposes. God works providentially, especially through powerful rulers to bring about His greater purposes. How contemporary is this text for us today? You look at Nehemiah 2.7. This is how Nehemiah responds to, to the king's question. What do you need? The king asks him, what do you need, Nehemiah? Nehemiah says very carefully, verse 7, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So, when the king finally asked the question, man, Nehemiah was ready. He was ready to fly. He was primed and prepared. He had a plan. So he wasn't just sitting back doing nothing. He was planning while he was praying. And in that four-month period, he was able to put a plan of action into place. So when the king asked him, he was ready to go. I don't think that we should expect God to spare us the pain of failure if we're not going to consider the cost of success. Planning. Take time to put a plan in place. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 20 verse 18 Plans succeed through good counsel. And Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So there you go. In, in preparing to do whatever God has called us to do, we need, we need a plan. We need a plan of some sort. You're convinced that God wants you to uh, grow in, in uh, fellowship with Him in, in the coming year, in 2021? That's great, but we don't mature in Christ just by rubbing shoulders with other Christians. We, we need a plan for discipleship. We need a plan to grow in our Bible reading and, and prayer time. We need, we need some personal goals for spiritual growth. You want to get rid of those extra pounds that you put on during COVID-19? Hey, you're going to need a plan of some kind. It's not just going to happen. Those pounds aren't just going to fall off. You need a plan. Well, and going back to verse 8, verse 8 tells us that ultimately it was the hand of God that moved the king. The good hand that was upon Nehemiah, that was the reason that the king's heart was changed. Absolutely, the sovereign, gracious hand of God was upon Nehemiah. But Nehemiah had a plan in place when it happened. He believed that the hand of God would eventually move the heart of the king and he planned for it. You need a plan. The, the elders of our church have been planning and praying for many months, uh, praying about the future of our church and trying to put things into place. And one of, the things, one of the things that we've been talking about is a transition in leadership. We've hired Pastor Jay Maynard to work alongside of us and so that I can slowly begin to divest myself of, of leadership and responsibilities and hand the baton off to someone else. 
Now, that's going to take a year or, or two, perhaps, but we're not rushing the process. We're, we're really uh, trusting God to give us His timetable and help it to be effective. But my point is that we're planning carefully for what lies ahead so that our church will continue to flourish and be strong in the days ahead, be able to multiply and multiply the number of disciples available to work in the kingdom of God. You see, in preparing to work for God, Nehemiah put a plan in place. You need one too, and so does our church. And there's one more principle that's important in this passage. As we move on, principle number three, expect opposition to the work you do. Expect opposition to the work you do. Look with me at verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I, I have to smile when I read that verse because you, have, you find naysayers everywhere you go. When you walk by faith and prepare to do God's work, you will unavoidably come up against some sandballots and some Tobias. They will oppose the work you do, and they will oppose the gracious hand of God upon your life. And Nehemiah's immediate response to all this negativity is so helpful to me, so interesting to me. Uh, you look at verses 11 through 18, and, 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 and Nehemiah goes out to inspect the walls that are broken down. He, he doesn't retaliate against these naysayers. He continues his analysis of the situation. After dark, Nehemiah went through the valley gate to inspect the broken down walls and burned gates. He goes to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but he can't get through because there's so much rubble there, his donkey can't even maneuver. He carefully surveys the damage done to the walls and to the gates. Until now, he had not said anything to the other Jewish leaders. Uh, prior to his nighttime rendezvous, he hadn't said anything about his plan. But now in verse 17, here he says, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. I love that. I love that rally, that rally cry that Nehemiah puts out there. He, he rallies the leaders and he rallies the people of the city with these visionary words of encouragement instead of giving in to the opposition and the, and the cynics. He's not about to quit. He's not going to throw in the towel because of a few critics. No, sir. Let's rebuild the walls and end this disgrace. And so they began the good work. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, but then, then look at verse 19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. <laughs> Man, opposition comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? It really does. In the face of overwhelming grace and 
favor. Even when God's gracious hand is evident, opposition rises up to defeat and discourage those who are seeking to follow God. It happened back then. It happens today, and I'm sure it's going to happen on into the future. Jealous, petty, suspicious, mistrusting people thrive on pessimism and opposition. You know anybody like that? <laughs> you, you have to expect opposition, people. It's going to come. You can't avoid it. It's just part of, part of life. Welcome to 2021. But we need to remember the words of Jesus. We can't quit. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our overcoming Savior, our Redeemer, the King of Kings, the one who comes to our aid. Thank you, Lord. Flash of Genius is a movie that was inspired by the true story of Dr. Robert Kearns. Robert Kearns is the guy, the engineer, who actually invented intermittent windshield wipers. I mean, where would we be today without intermittent <laughs> windshield wipers? In real life, Dr. Kearns pitched his idea to GM, Ford, and Chrysler. All of those companies turned him down. All of those giant car manufacturers turned him down, only to steal his idea later and add it to all of their automobiles. Dr. Kearns decides to take on the giant Ford Motor Company in a legal battle that no one believes that he can win. Every, all of his friends and colleagues are discouraging him, but he presses on, and eventually Ford settles for $10.2 million. He later challenged the giants, uh, GM, Chrysler, and Mercedes. And in 1995, Kearns was awarded approximately $30 million in compensation. Friends, you may be facing some giant opposition these days too. Your back may be up against the wall. You're facing circumstances like you've never faced before. Life is tough. You've never been here before. What are you going to do? Well, you can't quit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we, we learn from Paul's experience. We learn about Paul's troubles he tells the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that at one point in his ministry, he was under great pressure, far beyond his own ability to endure, he says. And so we despaired even of life itself. Say, what? Despaired of life itself? That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? And then in 2 Corinthians 1.9, he says, Indeed, we, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I think the people of Jerusalem needed to learn this lesson. Nehemiah and those who rebuilt the walls needed to learn this lesson. You and I need to learn this lesson. And sometimes, yes, we live under great pressure, far beyond our own ability to endure and sometimes we live in great despair. Why? What's the purpose of that? So that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Trust in God. And trust in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message. Then gather your tools and, and, and anything else you may need. Get ready. Get your heart and your head in the game. Wait for God to change the hearts of the people involved in your project. Plan carefully for what lies ahead. Expect opposition to the work that God has called you to do. And then do it. Just do it. Don't rely on yourselves, but rely on God, the one who raises the dead. And may the resurrection power of Jesus flow through your life today and in the days ahead. Let's do it for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning for the, for the new work that you have begun in our lives in this new year and in your church. We thank you. Lord, we're determined not to doubt you in the dark days of this pandemic and the lockdown, but, but we're determined to trust you with all of our hearts and, and not lean on our own understanding. Father, we, we believe that we're going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. This we pray in faith, in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.